revised, edited, and re-recorded. This is the addendum. Welcome to episode 130 of the addendum. My name is Eric. The story revised for this episode is one that I have always enjoyed. It is a contemporary narrative with an uncommon premise. A few changes have been made, but overall, the original draft was fairly solid and did not require a lot of additional work. In its efficient nature, this story plays to the strengths of the details and the dialogue. Without any further delay, the story will now begin. What is it? By Keith Eric Brandt. Paul stood in his kitchen eating a bowl of cereal on Tuesday morning. As he ate, he noticed a trail of ants moving across the countertop. He moved closer and chewed with deliberation as he examined them. There weren't just a few. There were hundreds, traveling back and forth in organized, unbroken parallel lines. There was no visible space between the antenna of one and the bulbous tail end of the next. He followed the thin line over the edge of the counter, down to the floor, and around the corner to find the ants flowed inward from a crack beneath the back door. He stepped outside and watched the brown minions continue down over the side of the concrete porch and into the flower bed beneath the kitchen window. In the early hours of daylight, Paul was not surprised to see his next-door neighbor, Dale Miller, was busy gardening. The old man had thin white hair, and his skin had a pinkish hue that glistened with a permanent oily sheen. Dale looked up from a cluster of azaleas and said, Are you ever going to do something about that lawn of yours? The old man had moved in a couple of years previous, and even upon their initial meeting, he had not been friendly. Under the best circumstances, his interactions contained a measure of resentful politeness. Paul continued to watch him for a moment longer, and then shrugged. I mow every weekend, he said. Dale raised himself from his stooped position. His posture retained a forward curve, which kept his shoulders hunched up around his neck. Using a pair of pruning shears he held in his right hand, he pointed at a couple of bright yellow flowers in Paul's backyard. Your dandelions are ruining the neighborhood, he said. Paul let out a small laugh and said, Ruining the neighborhood? There's hardly a yard without them. Dale wrinkled his face into a scowl that caused his cheeks and forehead to turn a deep reddish purple. Where do you think they came from, he said, pointing at each individual flower with the pruning shears again. Once they go to seed, it'll be too late. Paul started to reply and then stopped. He then shook his head and said, I've got to get ready for work, Dale. Maybe when I retire, I'll have more time to spend on my lawn. He went back inside his house and dumped the rest of his breakfast into the garbage disposal. He used a wet rag to wipe the ants from the counter and then washed them down the drain. It was a futile effort. The trail quickly resumed its formation as reinforcements arrived. It was unclear what the ants were after. The countertops were clean to a point of being barren. Fruits and vegetables were kept in the refrigerator, and all of the dry goods were kept in airtight plastic containers. The ants appeared to be content taking a couple of laps around the bottom of the sink before climbing out and running back in the opposite direction where they retreated beneath the back door. Paul's wife, Rebecca, was a teacher at the junior high. It was not unusual for her to be out of the house and at her job before he was awake. He was about to leave a note on the table for her when he noticed she had already left one for him. It read, 
Meeting with school board tonight. Be home late. Love, Rebecca. The word ants, followed by a question mark, was added after the signature like it was an afterthought. Paul worked for a car dealership, which was nice, because he could make his own hours. The only real drawbacks were he only got paid when he made a sale, and he was honest to a fault. He mentioned the ants he had discovered that morning to almost everyone he spoke with that day. On the way home, he stopped by a hardware store where he purchased some liquid ant traps on the advice of a co-worker who claimed to have used them once and had never needed to use them again. They came in a bright orange cardboard box. The front of the package had a large detailed drawing of a black ant on its back with its legs in the air. When Paul arrived home that evening, Dale was still meticulously attending to his yard next door. The old man stood in the middle of a flawless ocean of brilliant green grass that was so bright it almost looked artificial. He held the coil of a garden hose in his left hand as he sprayed lazy arcs of water across his lawn with the nozzle he held in his right hand. As Paul walked up the steps to his house, Dale stopped what he was doing as if he had only just noticed his neighbor. You got bugs, he said, pointing at the fluorescent orange box. Paul held it up so the large ant on the front of the package was visible. Apparently these are supposed to do the trick, he said. Dale spoke in an unusually cheerful manner. Good luck with that, he said. Dirty homes are like magnets for vermin. Paul paused as he unlocked the front door to his house. He looked back at Dale. In a firm and even tone, Paul said, My house isn't dirty. Dale smiled like a smug and contented cat. I'm just trying to help, he said. Cleaning up your yard and taking care of those weeds wouldn't hurt. Paul shook his head in disbelief. They're dandelions. Drive around. Almost every yard has them. Dale's smile fell away and his tone became accusatory. Your yard is nothing but crabgrass and clover. Paul expelled an exhausted breath. It's green. The ground is covered. No yard is without ants. Without waiting for a reply, he went inside his house and closed the door behind him. In the kitchen, the trail of ants between the sink and the back door remained busy and unbroken. Paul looked at the front of the orange box again and then read the instructions on the back. The ant traps were transparent plastic containers a couple of inches long and about a half inch tall. The instructions that came with them said to cut open one end of the trap that had an inclined ramp which led to a reservoir that was filled with clear borax jelly. The idea was the ants would forage the jelly as food and then carry the poison back to their colony. It all seemed simple enough. Despite that, Paul remained a bit skeptical about how effective they would be. He placed one of the traps next to the back door where the ants came in, and he set another one on the counter near the kitchen sink. Paul prepared dinner and had it ready for Rebecca when she got home. They talked about their day as they ate, then they rinsed their dishes and ran the dishwasher before watching television together and going to bed that night. Rebecca woke Paul the following morning, shortly after her alarm went off. In the kitchen, the ant traps were overflowing. The clear plastic containers were barely visible beneath mounds of tiny brown insects that were piled on top of them. Ants had drowned in the jelly, and legions more had followed their way in until the containers could hold no more. A wide trail of lifeless little corpses spanned the distance between the back door and the kitchen sink. 
Rebecca wore a mixed look of horror, disbelief, and disgust. I am calling an exterminator, she said. Paul shook his head in a daze of mild bewilderment and said, I can pick up more traps and see if they have anything more industrial. Rebecca sighed. Paul, I don't think a couple more traps is going to do it. I'll call an exterminator when I get to work. Less than an hour later, she called to let him know there was an exterminator who could make it to the house that day if he was there to meet them. Paul called in to work and told them what had happened. After hearing him talk about it a number of times the day before, they were very understanding regarding the situation. Paul swept up over a quart of dead ants and threw them in the garbage along with the bait traps. The exterminator arrived in the early afternoon. He was a middle-aged man with a full head of hair that he clearly maintained with a great deal of pride. He was a little overweight, but he exhibited a good sense of self-worth and an easygoing smile. The name's Carl, he said. You want to show me these bugs? They walked into the kitchen and Carl raised his eyebrows. The ant parade across the floor and counter had resumed and was busier than ever. Paul told him about the traps and then showed him the garbage can. Carl opened a couple of the kitchen cabinets, looked inside for a moment, and then closed them again. He asked, You do any cleaning recently? Paul said, Just the dishes last night and the mess I cleaned up this morning. Carl clicked his tongue in his mouth and looked along the edge of the wall from corner to corner on the ceiling and the floor. Then he moved to the back door, where he watched the constant stream of ants for a brief moment. You see them anywhere else? Paul said, No, not really. Carl looked at him plainly and said, What does that mean? Have you seen them anywhere else or not? Paul said, I, I meant no. I have not seen them anywhere else, really. Carl nodded his head. I'm going to go take a look outside, he said. A while later, he came back inside with a metal cylinder strapped to his back and a sprayer wand in his hand. Come with me, he said, waving Paul toward him with a small fluttering motion of his hand. They went out the back door and walked along the backside of the house. Carl stopped at the corner of the concrete foundation. You got any kids, he asked. Paul answered in a soft and confused voice. No, should I? Carl chuckled and smiled. Then he pointed at some white granules near the base of the house. You've got someone baiting the ants with sugar. I can spray all day, but they aren't going away until the food source is gone. Right now, I'd guess you have four or five individual colonies multiplying beneath your house. I'll go ahead and spray, but like I said, the problem isn't going away until they are no longer being fed. That evening, Paul explained the situation to his wife. He raised an eyebrow and wrinkled his forehead in question. You don't have any students with a grudge, do you? Rebecca laughed softly as she patted her mouth with a napkin. None that I know of, she said. There were a few kids that had a problem with Alan Grady a couple of years ago, but they were a lot more overt, like they wanted him to know exactly who was tormenting him. They finished their dinner, washed their dishes, and quietly mulled over the recent events as they watched television that evening. Paul woke in the middle of the night. He had been snoring. His throat was a bit sore, and his mouth was dry. He looked over at his wife. She was asleep. In the unlit room, he could see the dim outline of her form slowly rise and fall with her breathing. He carefully sat up and swung his legs over the side of the bed. As his weight shifted, Rebecca mumbled in a sleep-heavy voice, Where are you going? He patted her on the hip. Getting a drink of water, he said quietly. Do you want anything? 
A moment passed. I'm fine, she said in a voice that was already drifting back to the dreamscape she had surfaced from. He moved through the darkness. Everything in the house was a deep gray color and lacking detail. In the kitchen, he filled a glass with tap water. Through the window over the sink, he saw a man outside crouched low and moving across his backyard. Paul took a drink of water and looked at the digital clock on the microwave. It was after two in the morning. He peered out the window again, but the man was completely gone from his field of vision. Paul returned to the bedroom and pulled on a pair of pants and shoes as quietly as he could. What are you doing? Rebecca said with groggy concern. He spoke in an urgent whisper. It's nothing. I thought I saw something in the backyard. What is it? She said. I don't know, he said. I'll be right back. Rebecca opened her eyes and he smiled at her in the dark. Be careful, she said. She blinked a couple of times before her eyes drifted closed again. Paul carefully opened the front door and slipped outside without making a sound. The nighttime air was an uncomfortable and heavy mixture of humidity and heat. Crickets chirped in the distance and the low hum of air conditioners resonated throughout the neighborhood. He walked alongside the house and around the corner to where he had seen the figure moving through his backyard. A man in dark clothes was hunched over near the corner of the house. Paul balled his hands into fists and crooked his arms, ready to throw a punch. As he drew near, he could see wispy white hairs on the back of the man's head. He stood directly behind the man. With honest concern and question, he said, Dale? The man lurched forward, losing his balance. His shoulder thumped against the side of the house and his head thudded against the concrete foundation. He cried out in pain. Paul quickly knelt down, placing a hand on the old man's shoulder. Dale, is that you? Are you okay? The man jerked his arm back as he rolled over, hitting Paul on the cheekbone with his elbow. It was Dale. Blood was running down his forehead in a slow and steady stream. Get off of me, he said, kicking his legs. His foot caught Paul in the ribs, and he kicked him further away. Paul quickly pushed himself up from the ground and took a step back so he was beyond the reach of Dale's wild flailing. Easy, Dale, he said in a hushed tone. It's me, Paul. What are you doing out here? He held out a hand to help the old man up. Dale slapped his hand away and struggled for a moment before he was able to raise himself from the ground. I'm filing assault charges against you is what I'm going to do, he said in a loud voice. You should be ashamed of yourself. Paul spoke in a hushed but firm tone. Keep it down. You'll wake people up, he said. I didn't touch you. He bent over and picked up a nearly empty five-pound bag of granulated sugar. More importantly, what are you doing out here with this on my property? Dale looked at the bag. His temples pulsed as he worked his jaw up and down. I don't have to listen to this, he said. You're a very selfish individual. You only think about yourself. He pushed past Paul, striking him with his forearm. You should be ashamed of yourself, he repeated as he hurriedly walked away. Paul did not move. He heard Dale's door open and then close with a loud bang. The uncomfortable weight of the hot night air crawled upon his skin. A nearby air conditioner cycled off and the crickets began to chirp again. He went inside, undressed, and got back into bed. Rebecca said, What did you find? She laid her arm across his chest. What was it? Paul rubbed the raw spot on his cheek where he had been elbowed as he looked at the dark ceiling and blinked his eyes a couple of times. I don't think the ants will be a problem anymore, he said. Rebecca raised her head and looked at him. 
It was the ants? He let out a long breath and said, I guess. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you for downloading and listening. If you have enjoyed this story or any of the stories featured on this program, please take the time to rate and review the Addendum podcast. Until next time, this has been The Addendum. <laughs>